Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as mm-hmm. soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're re- enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Yeah, do you want to change things about yourself so that you get what you need? Hi, I'm Carol the Coach, and this is Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And I'm telling you, we have got a riveting guest who I've had on my show before. He does such great work talking about partners and sex addiction and, and connection and intimacy. And today, he has he's written a book that really goes into emotional safety. And for that reason, I said, hey, I want you on the show. Um, and he agreed. So here we are on a Sunday getting it done. And I just want to welcome Alex to the show. I mean, Alex, you are a consummate author, and you really are an expert in this field. So tell us a little bit about the book and what made you write it. Yeah, thank you, Carol. It's great to be on your show. And this is a very important topic, um, connection, intimacy, building trust, all those things that are connected to emotional safety. So Mm -hmm. I wrote the book in response to how critical the need, I believe it is, that everybody fully understands emotional safety. So this is the foundation for us to be able to talk to anyone with any degree of depth, especially in our most important relationships. We need to feel a sense of safety. This is with our loved ones, like our partner, our spouse, our kids, our friends, anybody, we've hoped to build some sense of connection. So you use the word approachability very often to help people understand emotional safety. Since emotional safety seems intangible, it can be hard to wrap our heads around it. So, you know, we don't always know when we feel emotionally safe. And we need to know that. 
Yeah, we really do. And you know that I do a lot of talking about that through my books, too. And we're both certified sex addiction therapists. And we really believe in enabling couples, teaching them how to provide that for each other. And I know this book goes above and beyond sex addiction and partner betrayal. But the truth is, it really is an opportunity to learn how to develop that. Now, have you seen that intimacy pyramid that Dan Drake and Janice Cottle did? I've heard about that. The truth starts at the bottom, right? Good. Yes, exactly. Well, they actually changed it to um, honesty. And then the next foundation was safety. Because we all know that honesty yeah. really provides a sense of safety. And then the next, when there's that honesty and safety, there's a truth that develops in a relationship. And say that builds vulnerability, and then that builds intimacy. Now, you're an expert. What would your, what would your pyramid be? What do you think? You said just a few seconds ago that you believe that uh, truth is the foundation for a good relationship, right? Right. So I have a very similar model, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. First, with honesty. You know, we have to be honest. Mm-hmm. So when we feel someone's being honest with us, maybe we start to trust them. But sometimes trust is such a far-off concept, especially after betrayal. Right. But after honesty we can start to feel, we can feel a sense of safety. Maybe we can predict and just as our best, as best as we can at the moment, believe that what they're saying is true. So we feel a little sense of safety building, but um, we hear the response. And if we see that they're being vulnerable with us, you know, and we give them safety, the person who's sharing the truth, then, you know, we, we're going to feel close. So, but there is safety needed at all levels. I think there are three different levels that uh, safety needs to be in there when somebody shares, when somebody's vulnerable, and when somebody takes, you know, that risk. Uh, and I talk about in the book a calculated risk. It's not just mm-hmm. taking a, a reckless risk. It's I need to think through this, and I take a risk and be vulnerable and sharing with somebody else, and they meet that with safety that will bring intimacy. So very similar, I think, to the model you just described. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're all pioneers in the field, and definitely it's been one of the assignments that I've given my clients. I give them the pyramid blank, and I say, what do you need to feel safe? Because, you know, there was one thing that Janice and Dan didn't include in their their, their emotional intimacy pyramid, and that was empathy. <laughs> And, you know, I'm kind of like the empathy queen. That's my big thing. Um, And so my pyramid has empathy um, at least by the third ladder. Uh, And it can be different, and it can be based on the needs of our couples. But you actually said that your um, formula, if you will, for that emotional safety certainly starts with honesty and that creates some sense of safety. Now, can I ask you, because you did do that amazing book. Um, there's just no doubt about it. it. Everybody I know has read the book. And I want to know, 
why did you write this one? Yeah, so several years ago, I wrote 40 Forms of Intimacy, and, you know, we had talked about that. Right. And to build intimacy, we need safety. And I, over the last few years, I've had, we understand that, I think, a lot of therapists. We guide people in that. We teach that. We we try to offer that Mm -hmm. in our sessions. People share with us because we're approachable, because we're safe, because they can trust us. Um, And I want to just, teach everybody about how to be able to trust other people and still protect yourself. So um, that's what the book is full of. It's about these, a lot of principles, a lot of techniques, a lot of people that have reviewed it, um, over 20 therapists and a handful of uh, sex addiction therapists um, all called it a roadmap. So I was happy to hear that because I did put a lot of time into putting in techniques, practical things, not just information, the things that people could walk away with mm-hmm. um, and understand why am I struggling in my relationship, you know, even without sex addiction or betrayal, why am I struggling? And especially if people have experienced some type of relational trauma, like childhood or adulthood, you know, the mind can be pretty active uh-huh. and it puts this hypervigilance in us that helps protect us. So we're wondering what we should say with certain people or not. And maybe, you know, our relationship is struggling. And I want people to know that they're not alone in that. This is a very popular, very common um, thought that we might have. Am I good enough? You know, what are they thinking of me? What, you know, what if I take this risk? Are they going to think I'm stupid? Like, how, how do we even connect with people in a relationship? So really found that emotional safety was that this internal um, innate tool we have that tells us, share with this person or don't share with this person. And what I put in the book was a lot of practical things, how to spot unsafe behaviors. Uh-huh. How do you spot um, unsafe people? And then how do you protect yourself? You know, we don't want to be vulnerable when people are doing unsafe behaviors or saying unsafe things. And if they're an unsafe person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me remind my listening audience um, that, this is Alex, and Alex, it's interesting because your name is Alex, Alex, Ben. say, say your last name for me. Abdila. Abdila. Abdila, yeah. And, and you now have written two books about how to feel safe and how to create intimacy and connection, and this book Emotional safety, honoring yourself while creating trust and presence to experience meaningful relationships is really for anybody that has had trouble in the past doing that, right? Right, and to stop blaming ourselves. (laughs) I have a chapter that's called them, not us, that really helps people understand and put boundaries around what what is theirs and what is mine, And, and I don't need to take responsibility for anything that anyone says or does. But I think we get into this thought cycle and spiral about, you know, must be me, what's wrong with me, and we have our core negative beliefs, right? I'm a lovable. I'm not I'm worthy. Not <laughs> yeah, I'm a failure. So when those get triggered, we can look at that. First, there are some tools that help you change that language to see it. But when someone else activates that in us, mm-hmm. we can – that we can have conversations we can ask for safety we can tell them it's not okay what you did and what you said or if they 
overtly are blaming us and gaslighting us and making us, you know, telling us those things, you're a failure or you're not worthy. But we need to make sure we can still protect ourselves, stand up and advocate for ourselves while we're putting responsibility in its proper place. Well, and I love that because you're right. You know, so many men and women, especially women, when they get involved in a relationship and it doesn't seem to be working out and they're not getting their needs met and maybe their needs are even being violated, they don't have boundaries that actually keep them safe, they do default to what is wrong with me. Why was I not good enough? for him or her to love me. And, you know, this book is really, you call, you said they called it a roadmap. I would agree with you 100%. Um, it is, a, it, it explains why people do things, but it also gives practical advice as to how to live your life better without blaming yourself. And that's what we really, really want to do. And, so you said you actually wrote the book because you could tell that this was missing. It wasn't in your 40 types of intimacy, and, and you just felt like this is a missing link that I need to give to my readers. Right. So the 40 forms of intimacy, one of them is safety. Mm-hmm. And, you know, over the last couple of years especially, the last several years, especially if I've trained in um, certified in emotionally focused therapy where we find – so we need to feel safe before we can be vulnerable mm-hmm. and take people to those vulnerable places. And so um, people in their relationships, they also need that safety. So I just um, pay attention to all the ways that people feel safe and unsafe. And it is by the words, by the actions, by neglect, by minimizing, um, by you know, just gaslighting, of course, manipulating, all those things are going to obviously shut us down is safety. We can't share with that person. So I really wanted people to understand how you see that, how you spot that, how do you overcome that, and most importantly, how do you advocate for yourself? Again, stand up. That's not okay when you do this. I'm feeling this, and I'm not going to stand for that anymore. You know, Alex, um, I have a certification course where I teach clinicians and coaches how – Therapy may not be warranted right off the bat if, they, if people don't have the proper relationship skills. And you keep mentioning boundaries and assertiveness and clear and direct communication, and I think those things are so important to have if you're going to look at developing or redeveloping that with another person. Now, you mentioned in the book how important it was to protect yourself and yet still be able to connect with other people. Can you help our listening audience understand a little bit more about that? Of course. I think that's one of the most difficult things is Mm -hmm. guarding ourselves Mm -hmm. but still wanting to connect and feel intimate and close with other people. And even with a friend, right, or family member, it doesn't have to be a romantic partner. But this could be one of the most difficult things. I think it's all about calculating vulnerability. Um, I you know, talk about calculating risk and help give a formula for that in the book. But to help us understand if and when we can share certain things with others. Mm-hmm. It can be with anyone in our lives. 
You know, if we think about how we start friendships, mm-hmm. most of us will be selective in what we share with people until we get to know somebody. We're, we're reading them, we're hearing their responses, we're having feelings, maybe this feels comfortable or not. Um, so we, we're kind of monitoring that. We have the internal monitor that helps keep us safe, again, that vigilance that protects us. It's kind of like the traffic cop that's waving the person forward or has a hand up keeping that person away. And we want to make sure that we feel safe and comfortable and that they've given us some indication that we can go a little deeper. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then that's a self-indication that they have to be able to, if you will, um, protect themselves and not do a deeper dive into trust or connection if that other person hasn't earned it. Right. Yeah, and I think especially after betrayal, Carol, we know that intuition has been damaged. Mm-hmm. So we might not even trust our own thoughts or feelings, even our own eyes, mm-hmm. um, especially with gaslighting if that's been challenged. Um, so when our reality has been challenged by another person. So when recovering from betrayal mm-hmm. in a relationship, certainly a process. You know, we want to let people in, but we put up our guard, and but we need people to see us. Mm-hmm. So that starts with when they make us a priority. Mm-hmm. They take steps to understand what we're feeling and what we need to help soothe our emotional pain. Right? They are aware of every trigger we have as much as they can be, and they're sensitive to that. They don't tiptoe and avoid, but they stay sensitive and present. Well, yes, and, you know, truly, um, you've mentioned several times now gaslighting, and I've, I know that a certain percentage of our listening audience will end up being first-timers. They've had the crisis of sexual betrayal. Now, we know that this book is not just for sexual betrayal. It's really about relationships in general. But my listeners will have been listening for years, and then there'll be a certain percentage of new listeners. So there are two concepts, one being DARPO and one being gaslighting. And Alex, would you share with our listening audience what gaslighting is? How I've heard it that's precisely summarized is really somebody's trying to make you feel like you're crazy. Right? They are questioning your reality. So this is the, the reality right in front of you, the facts that you can't argue with. But someone's having you question the facts right in front of you. So you know, it's kind of like I think that video in the 1940s, right, the movie that you know, so anything that. You could have a plate of food right there, and, and someone says, there's no plate of food right in front of you. What are you talking about? But so it's, it's very, to that extent, it's, it's beyond manipulating and blame shifting, and, and that's really having someone question their own reality, what they're seeing, feeling, thinking, you know, everything that is, is really happening. But the other person is having you question that. Yeah, and you know, in the movie, I know you know this, but for our listening audience, in the movie, this man very purposefully wants his wife to begin to feel like she's mentally ill. So he does all those things Alex just mentioned, as well as he starts dimming down the lights, the gas lights that keep the house bright. And when she says, darling, the lights are going dimmer, and he goes, oh, no, they're not. You must have something wrong with your eyes. I think that's connected, again, to the way you've been thinking. Your reality is just not the right reality. And she begins to doubt herself. 
Now, although people do gaslight, and you said it's the ultimate form of making somebody want to doubt themselves and actually feel crazy, I think DARVO is something that is used much more frequently between somebody who's hiding something, like an addiction, and a partner who's trying to figure out what's going on, because DARVO stands for denial. The perpetrator denies that it's even happening, and then he attacks the other person for for daring to question and not understand this, and then he, he or she reverses the roles, and all of a sudden, the person that's hiding whatever it is that's being hidden becomes the victim, that's what B is, and the person that's questioning, why isn't this reality matching up, is now the offender. And again, DARVO, denial, attack, reverse, victim, and offender. And I see that happening a lot when somebody is trying to hide an addiction um, of any type from the other person. And, you know, that is their job. Their job is to keep that addiction flowing and to hide it at any cost and at any expense. And unfortunately, that means for whoever the partner is, they begin to question themselves and they question the reality of the coupleship. Um, Now, you know that that's a definite breach of emotional safety. Would you not agree? Right. I think any kind of lying, any kind of denial, any kind of shifting blame or minimizing or avoiding, any, all those things that are connected to addictive behaviors mm-hmm. really breaches emotional safety. And, and that it, it's hard to trust is a far-off concept that we can't, begin to trust them if they're denying that we see it, they don't see it, or they're not admitting to it. So certainly, I mean, we, um, we're going to feel that disconnection, that tension in the relationship, and we're not going to feel close. We're not going to feel intimacy. We're not going to feel trust or love or kindness or compassion, any, anything positive, because that's front and center, that denial, that pain, I mean, it, it is it's huge. Right. And so what would you advise and what do you advise in your book for people that are in that situation where there has been a breach? What can he or she do to begin to believe in themselves? Yeah, I think that's why we want to first know ourselves, right? That self-awareness, that self-love, that self-compassion, self-care, the behavior is self-care show that we value ourselves. So we, we need to get clear in our minds, especially if someone's manipulating us. So we need to talk to safe people. It might just be a therapist that someone has or a coach. It might not be a family member or friend that they're wanting to invite into the recovery process. That, that can be difficult um, in its own way. But um, I would say a lot of times we, we avoid it or minimize it or accept it, and this is the way it is, but that's the way he is, so I'm not going to do anything about it. But I think we need to make our own rules. And we don't want to be reactive here and, and play that game, right? This is where we are ourselves by protecting and valuing our primary needs. So if the person who's in the addiction is approachable, they're able to hear, this doesn't happen all the time, if they're able to hear a little bit about how we need them to change in certain areas, it's not 
the list of demands, but it's if they're open to that, they're they're willing. Um, that gives us hope. Um, so if if they keep blaming, we need to keep putting the boundaries up. We need to keep reinforcing the fact that what you're doing is not okay. That's leaving me feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the sometimes we don't understand that word, and that was the one of the main reasons why I wanted to write this book because sometimes people will say that I don't feel unsafe when you do that. And people go to the physical, right? They think, what do you mean? I'm, I'm not harming you. So they might minimize the impact of their words, their actions that are creating emotional pains and unsafety and just go to the physical. What do you mean? I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Um, so they completely miss the fact that what you're doing is harming, is threatening, is destroying my sense of safety emotionally. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. Now, again, I'm, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking with Alex and Valia, and he wrote this book, Emotional Safety. It's about honoring yourself while creating trust and presence to experience meaningful relationships. And let's face it, no matter who you are or where you're at, it does require that you assess your relationship. And we all know in our gut whether our relationships are meaningful, and he gives you the roadmap, figuring out how to improve that and also how to take care of your own needs in the process. And so this book has just, is it just coming out or has it come out? So you can pre-order it as of today. It's October 2, mm -hmm. um, 2022. So you can pre-order it today. It comes out October 10, okay. so a week from um, tomorrow, will be from Monday, the paperback, you can, you can order that, and the audio version will be coming out planned for December this year. So are you um, going to narrate that audio version? Yes, I will. <laughs> well, welcome to the club. It is so much fun to do that. You know, I did my last book, Help, Help Them Heal, and uh, it's a lot of work for us to – to read the book, and mm -hmm. but it makes a lot of sense because they get to hear that earnestness in our voices that the, these things really do work. And, um, yeah, you know, I know, how can they get to your website to take a look at some of the, the important information you have about resources? Yes, it's alexaavila.com. So it's Alex. A and then my last name A V as in Victory I L A dot com and you can find the links to my books. Um, you'll find my online course I have for relationships that I launched last November, mm. and you'll find how to get in touch with me if you wanted uh, counseling, coaching, groups. Um, I'm doing some online classes, so that's the best way to find out more about me. You have just done it all, haven't you? I mean, online courses, coaching, uh, you know, people would have a way to get their needs met no matter what. And we really do want you to look at this book. I don't know about you, but I find that a lot of people get more from a book when they, when they listen. You know, mm. their life gets so busy, they put it down, and then they forget to, to put it back up. But how do you handle the exercises that you give in the book? If, if they're listening to it, what would you suggest they do if they get the Audible, which is coming out in December or January? So don't look for that now. 
Mm -hmm. There are several questions, especially in the, the final chapter. So um, I have 30 chapters. They're, they're split up, um, so they're uh, somewhat brief, but um, the first 10 kind of talks about the normalized the struggle that we all have, right? And in the middle, it's kind of like a lot of these things that we know about that we try that can work sometimes. And the last 10 are about all these new uh, models, techniques, uh, these questions, reflection questions to ask yourself. It includes a lot of those. So I would say if you're listening to the book, to you know, definitely pause that, write, write down those questions and, and sit with them. Ask yourself, because a lot of it in the final chapters are about one of the chapters is called creating a new trust. You know, I don't like to use the word restore. I don't want to restore anything. A lot of people don't want the relationship they had. Mm -hmm. We want to create a brand new trust. So it's, it's the steps to doing that. And, of course, safety is just primary throughout that. And so, yeah, pausing to look at, write down, reflect, sit with some of those questions, take them to your therapist or coach, and talk to them with a with a friend about some of those questions, about your answers. Sometimes a close friend can spot some of these things. Okay. You know, a caring friend can see our blind spots, but they can ask us the right questions with care and genuine concern. Well, you know, I know you have some chapters specifically dedicated to um, safety threats and unsafe people. Can you tell us the difference between an unsafe person and unsafe behavior. Yes, well, nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. so I, I think any of us can do unintentional harm mm -hmm. and may not have the relationship skills that help us communicate well and understand other people, validate their feelings, and meet their needs. But it certainly doesn't give us permission to do harm. So, but we have to be teachable. We have to be open to the input of others. So if another person doesn't like us, talking at a certain tone or volume, and they, they tell us, lower your voice, we might say, I'm not yelling, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. But validating the other person is listening to how they are experiencing us. So mm -hmm. when we're open to change, we might be a safe person, person but doing an unsafe behavior. Uh -huh. If we're denying things, we're minimizing, we might be doing an unsafe behavior. Um, so the unsafe people, um, have a chapter called unsafe people, and those are people that are doing continuing, continuous manipulative behaviors, the gaslighting, the blame shifting, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. But even after we've told them how it hurts and how we need them to stop. So I think it is important to distinguish the two because not every person, even every person who's a sex addict is not a narcissist. I mean, I think most right. of us have narcissistic behaviors mm -hmm. or tendencies, and we can all be selfish at times, but as a betrayed partner, we certainly need to keep our eyes on those behaviors and communicate clear boundaries that we won't put up with certain things. So if we experience an unsafe behavior, we can ask for change. We can tell them how they're impacting us, how we feel as a result of their words and actions, but often if it's an unsafe person, we might avoid them to stay away um, because we don't want to talk, we can't talk. Mm -hmm. We might get aggressive and escalate ourselves in defense. Mm -hmm. And I've talked about in the book the difference between being protective and defensive mm -hmm. because sometimes a defensive reaction is protective. And it, it doesn't make it right if it's going to be harmful and escalate. 
uh, and yell at somebody, but to slow down and ask ourselves, is this person being protective or defensive? And if they're protecting their heart and their need for safety, that it's different than just being defensive. So um, another thing that we do, you know, I think, is we just accept, and that's just the way it is. So we want to be able to make, make our own rules, we honor ourselves by doing that, and hold our boundaries until the other person is taking genuine steps to help us feel safe and maintain our sense of safety. Well, you know, and, and on the other side of that, I'm thinking a couple who can hear that something is not making him or her feel safe and then alter that behavior is an emotionally mature couple, right? And so the only way you can increase that emotional maturity is to speak your truth in a healthy way and see if that other person is willing to um, accommodate or adjust and not necessarily, even if they assess that they weren't doing that. You know, you referenced the person that said, I wasn't talking loud. I'm thinking of my own husband. Um, He's not a sex addict. I'm not a partner. But I remember we were talking about something in a group of people, and he rolled his eyes at me. And so afterwards, I assertively said, because remember, listening audience, assertiveness does not mean that you get what you want. It just means you're clear and direct about how you feel, what you believe, and what you need. So you can feel good about that, that you have been direct about that. And so I went to him and I said, I did not like the fact that you rolled your eyes at me. I said, that made me feel embarrassed and like you thought I was crazy. And he looked at me and he said, honey, I was rolling my eyes because I've heard that story 50 times. Now, somebody else could have gotten defensive, but I thought about that and I thought it still wasn't kind that he rolled his eyes. But all of a sudden I pointed to myself and I said, oh, I need to be more aware of not telling some of some of my favorite stories around him so much because he doesn't need to hear it 50 times. And it really helped me to be a better wife and to pay attention to what he needed, even though my assertiveness was initially to let him know how I felt and what I needed. And I do think that that is emotional, good emotional IQ when you can hear something and want to alter it if it makes sense. Now, you have some stories in the book. Is that not true? Some stories of people that were emotionally unsafe, uh, where that emotional safety, there had been a breach. Uh, Were people able to weather that storm? Sorry, I used some stories. I used several personal examples, just introducing how I felt safe or unsafe of people. And I think some examples are very common, um, even around just being an ethnic minority and and how that plays out, um, has played out throughout my life, and especially in my early years. And and that's what I've talked about is people being there for you or not and the messages that you get from people. So a lot of it will help readers explore things that have happened throughout their life uh, that I think is very common. 
and then also how do you make sense of that today? Because sometimes we just carry these things throughout our lives and, and we make assumptions and we hold on to that as truth. So when we have new information about, oh, like that was them, they did that. You know, that's not, I don't have to carry that belief with me. It really helps us understand, again, value ourselves, see ourselves in a new light and be able to grow from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that is, again, emotional maturity. So now, mm-hmm. again, can you talk about how emotional safety connects people to, oh, boy, trust and forgiveness? Yeah, so they're big topics, mm-hmm. especially with the betrayal repair. So um, I, I have a several chapters that I think a betrayed partner would benefit if like I'm writing it to them, you know, because of my training and passion. Last several years with helping people with sex addiction, helping you know, couples manage that, uh, navigate that, you know, rebuild, build something new. So um, I talk about how apologies, forgiveness, and reconciliation are three separate processes. So um, not every relationship can be reconciled. And, and that could be because no one, someone's no longer living, or it could be that there's just so much harm done. Um, and forgiveness itself is a process. So, so, so we first need a genuine apology, mm-hmm. one that clearly acknowledges the specific actions and the specific harm that was done. So these apologies need to be very sincere. They definitely need to include the change to behavior over time, and they're demonstrated consistently, these changed behaviors. And they, they know the impact of what they've done. That's very, very important that they know the harm caused. And they have to be safe enough to allow their partner to share that because the partner might not feel safe enough to share, this is how you hurt me, because that's just vulnerable itself. And it can be used against them. So mm-hmm. uh, safety is threaded throughout the forgiveness process, um, reconciliation. So um, I have chapters called Revisiting Risk. One is called Harm Doesn't RSVP. We don't always see it coming, and it's not our fault. We don't have to blame ourselves. And, again, creating a new trust. So um, I want readers to understand that we still need to protect yourself, calculate risk, and, and we don't have to fully trust until we know we consistently feel safe with that. Uh, we need to, to start over. So, again, there, there are multiple questions in those chapters to have people understand. Like one of them, is the other person capable of authentic transformation? Mm-hmm. So that can be a difficult question to answer because it depends on another human being. But I think I hear that often, is he capable of meeting me where I need you know, him to be and understanding emotion, being present with me. Um, but I think if we see that they are willing, their willingness makes a huge difference. And are they making genuine attempts toward change? Mm-hmm. So are they, these are the observable things they're doing. Are they in recovery? Mm-hmm. Are they reading books? Are they listening to podcasts? You know, are they actively working on changing themselves most days of the week? You know, then we can, begin to have some realistic hope with that. So that starts to advance the forgiveness process. You know, we're seeing the apologies, they're genuine, we're seeing the change, we're starting to trust it. Maybe we can start to forgive a little bit or parts of what happened, you know, and then reconciliation 
that third part of this is yes, you know, we can build intimacy. We, we're starting to trust. And as we know, this can take uh, two years or more to get to that place where I'm starting to really feel like I can trust them again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my book, Help Them Heal, it, well, and actually in the first book, Help Her Heal, that is the first or second exercise. Willingness. Mm-hmm. What are you willing to do? And, you know, partners, because that's our listening audience, partners and addicts, partners will say, how will I know? How will I know if he's really changing? And I I say the same thing you do. You'll see him doing the hard work consistently. And, And for me, that is all those things that you listed. And a man or a woman who's an addict that gets complacent, I don't want to say they're doomed to fail. The, the percentage that they will fail goes up exponentially because for the first three to five years, this does take that kind of work, listening to podcasts, doing your reading, journaling, praying, meditating, going to meetings, having a sponsor, doing the 12 steps. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And that willingness, if they can keep that at the forefront of their work for themselves, and obviously for the coupleship, I say, you know, anybody can dupe anybody, but if they're doing that hard work, they're too busy doing that hard work to dupe you, you know. They're not going to feign that and do that and not be, more often than not, earnest about it. Um, So it was interesting because earlier you said that you're not so much into restoration or rebuilding but you really think that a new relationship, a new marriage, if you will, has to be developed. And I do too. Um, It's a hard thing to talk to couples about because that sounds like so much work. But in reality, I think it gives them hope that they can actually have a better marriage today than they've ever had before. What do you think? I've seen that, and it's it's very encouraging. I I love seeing that because it, most people that that are in this place, you know, of pain and in recovery, they are sometimes bringing up decades of problems that they've had. So not just the addiction or the betrayal or the infidelity, but it's also you've neglected me, you've treated me like this, you all these other things around the table. So the couple. And the partners of that couple that are in therapy, they're learning, you know, at sometimes much more rapid of a pace than they want to. It, it could be a, a lot, but they're learning about themselves. They're learning about their family of origin, possibly trauma there. They're learning about how, again, to respect and honor and value themselves. And they're learning how to set boundaries, all these healthy relationship behaviors that I wish we would have all learned in middle school. So uh-huh. um, they're learning this. And, and most couples, they don't want what they had, you know, so they want to build something new. And when they're doing that work, um, I think they have to start with themselves. Um, I, I don't want, they don't have to go apart for a year and do all this work and then come back to us in the relationship. But I would say we don't have to wait for the other person for us to get healthy as individuals. So we need to focus on what keeps us safe physically, mentally, emotionally, um, spiritually, anything that helps us, this might include setting boundaries, 
uh, for the other person. Because I don't think we can rebuild trust without honesty, without safety, and we might have to do a lot of that work on our own first. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, for the betrayed partner, um, even for the the addict, to get healthy on your own, um, to do that doesn't, again, mean you don't toss, you don't interact, it just means I need to take responsibility for me and make sure that I'm valuing myself when I'm healthy, when I'm more whole, I, I'm able to show up to the relationship so much better that I can access skills. If, if I'm in a constant state of overwhelm, I can't even engage that part of my brain that says, oh, I should do this or say that. Um, sometimes the addicted person, the person having the affair, they're going to be in that constant state of it's never enough. I'm not saying the right thing and I'm a failure. And it can legitimately be bringing up a lot of negative core beliefs from their childhood. So um, there's a lot happening, I think, when both partners work on themselves, care for themselves, love themselves. Um, that helps them show up with confidence to the relationship. They can show up and learn skills, and you know, they, they're going to be better for it as a couple. Amen. Uh, so let me just remind my listening audience, I'm talking with Alex Avelia, who who you can pre-order his book today, Emotional Safety, Honoring Yourself While Creating Trust and Presence, Experience Meaningful Relationships, and you might as well get the first book he wrote, which is 40 Forms of Intimacy. And if you need to get a hold of him, you can go to his website, which is www.alex, A-L-E-X-A, and then A-V-I-L-A, his last name, dot com. And while you're there, you might as well register for his um, online relational course. Uh, relationship course, there aren't enough relationship courses out there, so I would highly recommend that too. Alex, thank you so very much um, for continuing to write and to invest in couples. You know, this is a hard, hard business, and they both have experienced so much trauma that um, it really, you said it well when you said, we as therapists and coaches can really help bring to them the safety emotional safety they need to look at themselves, look at their relationships, and create a new life. Right. You're very welcome. I'm honored to be on the show as well. There's a lot we can do. There are a lot of resources. People can have hope when this has happened, and they can take charge of their own process, and they can get healthy, and they can heal from this. And it's not always dependent. Um, on what the other person is doing. They can get whole and health themselves, and if the relationship is going to continue, there are a lot of tools that a lot of other therapists and sexual recovery circles have put out there that, that can help you get there. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was a beautiful segue as we end the show. What you and I both know is that self-care, constructive compassion, are tools. They're the antidote to the negative things that has happened in one's life. So as we wrap up the show, can you, can you share one thing 
that you would like our listeners to do for themselves? I use an analogy of a chair and a table mm-hmm. in the book, and a chair is you, right? The chair is your spirit, your emotions, your mind, and your body. So the, those are the four legs of your chair. Care for that well. Mm-hmm. Positive self-talk, positive self-affirmation, self-acceptance. We take our chair wherever we go. And the table, hold the chair up to the table. And there are only a handful of people that are going to earn a spot in our inner circle. And this book is full of those tools, these things to help you understand and how to invite people to your table. Thank you, Alex. And I can't wait to read this book again and again, and, and I will recommend it to clients. You make it a good day, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Carol. You Thank are you. welcome. And Boo thanks you, too. <laughs> All right. That's it. That's the end of the show. As I say, it's at the end, at all times, fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. We'll see you next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Make it a good one. Hey, boo, you were being noisy. No. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for sharing on Sex Help with Carol the Coach.